hello, everybody. You're about to witness what charismatic leadership looks like. Elizabeth Good is the CEO and founder of the Foundation United, an organization dedicated to ending sex trafficking and exploitation through systemic change. As I explained to Elizabeth, while the topic of sex trafficking is vitally important, I wanted this podcast to focus on how she had gone about as a leader creating an organization to address it. Plenty of people have great ideas and a passion about an unmet need. She not only had an idea, but she actually built a thriving organization to address it. How does she do it? You'll find out. Elizabeth has a master's in clinical psychology. She's a pastor. And as you will see, she's a dynamic founder and leader. Hello, everybody. I am totally excited. If you see this bright smile that I'm looking at, you can see part of the reason I'm excited. This is Elizabeth Good, who has been in the anti-sex trafficking movement since 2011. She's founder of an organization called Foundation United, which focuses on sex trafficking. But as provocative as that topic is, that's not what we're here for. We're here for Elizabeth the leader who had an idea in her head of a wrong to be righted and a passion to drive it. And from this idea in her head, she created this spectacular organization that's serving, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of women and groups to help get them liberated. So, Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's begin with your idea. Describe who you were when you thought of Foundation United, when it was a dream in your head. Describe what got you, where, who you were then, and what prompted that dream. Well, it's so funny. I, I, I'm from Chicago, so I live in Florida right now, but I'm from Chicago, and I had been born and raised in Chicago. And at that point, I was 40 years old. I'm 53 right now. And we were moving to Florida, and the goal in moving to Florida was to do nothing. I had been overly involved <laughs> in everything. <laughs> so this birthed out of my, my desire to do nothing. Um, I always say God had other ideas, but we definitely, um, we moved down to Florida and all of my friends from Chicago, we were all speakers in different ways. My, my past, I was um, in corporate America for my 20s and my 30s. I was a pastor at a mega church. Oh my goodness. I was, yes. I'm corporate. I have my master's in clinical psych. I was a pastor, an area pastor at Willow Creek Community Church, one of the biggest mega churches that started back in the day. And I was in one of the wealthiest suburbs of Chicago. So I was moving to Florida exhausted because all of my people presented so perfectly and they had nothing but secrets behind closed doors. And they weren't really ready to get all the way free and all the way healthy. They wanted to talk about a little bit, then pretend they didn't talk about it. And I was wanting everybody to just get free and healthy. And they just really, it was an exhausting season. And 
everything in my my masters. Yep. Okay. When you said my people, you mean the your congregants, the people? My congregants. Yes. Okay. I was. We were over a high school area, so we had about two hundred families, and um, yeah, the, just the the inauthenticity of of always just showing up as who you really are. It just wasn't the norm. And I was raised in a church back in the day that I was sexually abused in. And I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. being authentic or don't pretend you're going to church, <laughs> you know, get your stuff out, be real. And um, it's a b- big passion of mine. And prior to taking that position, when I had my master's in clinical psych and was working in the field, everybody that I worked with had sexual abuse underneath. So I think that um, I was just seeing a pattern. It's like, I don't care if you can't stop shopping, you look good, you're you're in jail because the the root level stuff was sexual abuse. And so when I moved to Florida to do nothing and my friends from Chicago that were used to doing- But wait a minute, before we go, I just want to make a comment. We attract what we send out. I'm just so amazed, so fascinated that you- attracting all of these sexual abuse survivors who don't know your history. Right. Right. And that aren't really ready to talk. Well, I think I went through the years of people not ready to talk about it. I got more and more healed of mine. And I think that was the exhaustion of my Chicago phase because it was really about my healing, quite honestly. Okay. It really was. I think I went after my master's in clinical psych, you know, heal yourself. People typically run after (laughs) I'm a social worker. This is the way it goes. Yes, yes. And then you attract those that don't even know why they're attracted to you. And that compounded over the years. And so I did move to Florida and really with the goal of doing nothing. And and I was was exhausted. And so when friends said, let's do some women's events, we'll just come down there in January, we'll speak, we'll encourage women to take care of themselves. They also tacked on, find an underdog charity. So I wasn't looking to lead. I wasn't looking to build anything. (laughs) I just started asking questions. And what I was told in 2010 sort of shocked me. I was told, you know, how about the fact that our local children are being sold for sex? Do you want to raise money for that? And I said, yeah, that's disgusting. What are you talking about? And they told me the whole backstory that we're not getting into all the sex trafficking stuff. But when I said, who do we write a check to? They said, there's no one because everyone's acting like it's not happening. Oh, wow. So I went back to my women friends and they're like, we got to do something. And here I am 12 years later. Okay. So our local children are built being raised for sex. Did you say that? Being sold for sex. What I was told for sex. Being sold for sex. And what got me was they said, you know, everyone thinks of other countries and it's only happening in Cambodia. It's only there. But in America, the root of childhood of sex trafficking is childhood sexual abuse. So there's my thing again. I'm like, what? And they said, you know, one out of three little girls keeps a secret. One out of five little boys are the stats that keep secrets of sexual abuse. And then it runs into them running away, approached by a predator. Before you know it, they're in somebody's belonged to a trafficker. They're sold 15 to 40 times a day. And there was no one to write a check to. And literally, I mean, my passion is eradicating sexual abuse. Trafficking is a symptom. Trafficking is a symptom. There's a million symptoms, just like in the North Shore. Some of these women couldn't stop shopping, couldn't stop eating. It's because they didn't want to feel and hadn't dealt with what happened down here. Shame is like my passion. The the root is down here and sex trafficking is one of the little branches that pops up uh to show that there's uh, a crud underneath. 
Exactly. And I think, I mean, I believe, you know, I, you're talking to someone that was a pastor, right? So I'm going to say God told me this, but I believe that I was led to Florida in that time because sex trafficking was just coming on the radar and it gave me a platform. No one really wanted to talk about sexual abuse, but what's this new thing? Oh, what's this? And, and the download and the vision, like we started with a local organization, but we knew I felt back in 2010 that one day there would be the foundation, which is now the foundation United that would, because what I did learn in the beginning is that all these people that were interested in it were broken. People hadn't dealt or healed from their own stuff. So there's a lot of competition and competition just wreaks havoc and chaos. So most of them have competition among whom? Among the leaders of people that were excited to lead in the movement of sex trafficking. Okay. So the ones who raised their hand and said, I will help, I will contribute. Or the ones that were like already building their own organization. It was all a competition. And my, what I saw and what I had heard, I'm always listening for wisdom because I come from a business background and I'm not like some nice little church lady that just wants to do the next thing. You know, I, I right. want I best practices. Yeah. You want best practices. You want outcomes. You want measurements. You want to run it like a business no matter what you do. And so I'm watching all this new movement and everyone's talking about trafficking and I'm sitting back thinking, what's the strategy here? And that's where, if you talk about leadership, I just feel like I had a download. Um, I believe a God download that if you want to be different, if you want to stand out, you're not going to walk with competition. Ultimately, you're going to learn everything, learn all the best practices. But ultimately, one day you lead this foundation where you bring the best of the best together. Okay. So yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm getting excited. And you're saying a lot and you're getting excited. So I want to be able to interject. Okay. If I'm following you, in 2010, you had a complete download that there needs to be this organization that's non-competitive, that's built on business practices that can lead this movement. Whoa. And you saw the whole thing. Yes. It took a while to launch it because we started with a grassroots right there. You know, we, we sure. were doing a little safe housing and doing this, but this foundation, this vision. Yeah. Okay. So now what's leading the world in this. And it's just amazing. Okay. So I've talked to a number of leaders and some say they write their idea down and that helps bring it to manifestation. And some say they don't, they just do it. So which route did you take? I am the building the airplane girl while you're flying it. Okay. Never. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing half the time and it just vision the next person you need, the next, you know, divine alignment that you need. That's how I build businesses. It's amazing. Like I, I, I feel like I see five years down the road. I might see 10 years down the road, but each day it just comes together and it's hard to, you know, it, what I, what I do find is that like when you are built that way, that you're just sort of, you know, it, there's a, a I guess it would be like a charismatic excitement or energy about you. And it just draws people to follow you and trust you. And that's sort of how I have built everything I've done is I see it. I could speak it. I could cast a vision. I don't know the parts of how it's going to happen, <laughs> but that's where the people come along and they fill in those gaps. Okay. This is just so magnificent. Okay. So 
let's, I, I just want to take it step by step for some people who are sitting there like I am with their mouths opening saying, I know what she's talking about. Is, she, is this really true? Okay. You had this download. And then what? Did you pick up the phone call? Did people come to you? What literally for those early, that first year, what did you do? You know, I think it was finding because I think the first thing with everything I've done with, the, you know, the, the smaller organization I built first and then this global foundation was going as many places as possible and getting in front of as many influencers as possible and speaking the vision. Because what I found was the way that I speak and no matter who you are, like you said it earlier, you're dead on. You put out what you attract, you know, you attract what you put out. So I would speak this vision that the things that I was excited about, and it would just, there could be a room of 200 and it would be 10 that laser focused, like it hit them, you know, it could be 10 people in a room and there's one that's meant to be. So it's like everywhere I went, you grab your army, your, your arrows hit exactly where they're supposed to hit. And I never worried about, I'm always like, I don't care if I get one person from this meeting or five or a hundred, because one of our advisors said to me back in the day, he said, people are like a, a radio station. You know, you, you have to be tuned in, right? And yeah. the more honed you are with your message, as you start putting out your frequency, you're only going to get the people that are on that same frequency. The others won't hear you and you don't even care. You just want the ones that hear you. And that's how I've built everything. Okay. So I just have to interject one of my husband's sayings that I just love. He said, there's an ass for every seat. You get the car, you get the seat. It doesn't matter if it's a red car, it doesn't matter what color the car is, whatever it is, there's a particular ass for that particular seat <laughs> in that particular car. Yeah, 1000%. And we always say, you know, it's not about a seat on the bus, it's about a seat on the rocket, you know, because it's been like a rocket ship. Yeah, the whole so you started off with an intense believing in yourself. I, what's so funny about that is because if you're in my head, you wouldn't think so. But externally, I believe it did present that way. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, yeah, there's self-doubt. Let's talk about this for a minute. There is self-doubt. Of course, there's self-doubt. But the you had an overriding belief in, was it a belief in yourself, belief in the project, both? How would you describe that? I, you know, I, I don't know how crazy you want me to go with you. But... I want you to go completely crazy. There's an ass for every seat. And so the people who want this message will get this message. If I give you the whole real unfiltered. Um, yes. Okay. Because I was in ministry, right? So I was an area pastor of a big mega church. I had so many secrets. I had so much baggage. As you even found out already, I hadn't healed from all the horrific things that I had gone through. I was in a an abusive marriage. I had all kinds of stuff, but I could rock a platform. So I wasn't really reconciled, right? And so as I was going through that process of separating, divorcing, getting healed, I had a lot of people come around me. And I, the way that I'm able to hold on to vision, because I believe that I believe like God deposits purpose and vision in people. And you have things that you only, you are uniquely created to do what no one else could do. But often we don't get past the fear to go do it. You know, go take the land, plant the flag, do it. What I'm really good at, and most women have a hard time with it, men tend to be lone rangers, but I'm really good at, I call it filet of fish. Like I have a, a leadership mentality that the stronger you are as a leader, 
the more dangerous you are. And if you operate alone, right, you could talk yourself into anything. We, you know, I could, I could sell ice to an Eskimo and I know that that's dangerous. So I do this filet of fish model where I have my personal board of advisors, people that I trust their wisdom and I tell them everything. And they are sort of on the same wavelength of alignment of seeing the vision and they operate like my board right now that are like my most intimate, intimate protectors and who I go to for wisdom advice. They call themselves my Praetorian guard and Praetorian, Praetorian guard, Praetorian guard. It's, it's a word out of like, um, FBI intelligence from England back in the day for the Royal Guard, the Royal Guard. They, they come in not just with weaponry, but intelligence. And I have people in my life that are smarter than I am, that hear more clearly, stronger discernment than I have. And they believe in the vision that's in me. So when I do doubt myself, which is a lot, I come with a squad of cheerleaders that are, are, will pick me up when I'm down and make sure I keep going. Like they almost feel called to make sure I complete my calling. Okay. So, you know, Nathaniel Hale mastermind group, he was the original person, one of the earlier persons to talk about a mastermind group. Are you talking about individuals you go to one by one? Are you talking about a group that literally meets they're individuals. Some of them I've put into my board of directors. So I get them in groups sometimes now, okay. <laughs> but okay. no, they're, 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 they're handpicked and, and they live all over the country and they don't all know each other intimately, but I, it's like, there was a, a highlight on them and they feel assigned to me and my vision and the calling on my life. And they will not let me fall. And I have a lot of, you know, with what I do, it's a really dark world out there. And the people that buy children are pretty scary. And so I have some serious attacks on my life and I'm guarded very well. And my yes continues because I believe it, but I have people probably that believe in me more than I believe in myself, quite honestly, which is a gift. Okay, so you have this board of directors, as you're calling them. They know who they are. Or a Praetorian guard. Yes. Praetorian, spell Praetorian. I don't know that word. You guys got to look it up because when they first told me that, I'm like, what is that? And I looked it up. I'm like, ooh, that's good. P-R-E-T-O-R-I-A-N. Look up Praetorian guard. Praetorian guard. Okay. All of the intelligence, all of the weaponry, physical, mental, spiritual it is a covering. So I feel fortunate that, see, but what I do know, I watch some leaders, they don't open themselves up to other people. And I think that's, that's a dangerous way to lead. Like I am so transparent in my leadership. I will tell them everything I'm thinking. And they'll say, I don't, I think that's a pause, not yet. And, and I'll listen to each one of them and I'll make a decision, but I don't ever operate alone. I really don't. And this I've been so really weird. guarded. Yes. Yes. Okay. So in a typical week, how often will you be consulting with one of them? I meet with three of them every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Together or separately? That's typically together, unless one of them can't be there. That's on Zoom. Okay. So you have, yeah. so you do. And that have could last from 10 minutes to two hours. Like you just don't know what's going on that day. But it's, it's always an open, we come together and we see what's up. And then I have others that I, I might see them once every seven years, but text you know. message, you know, yeah. text message, they're my guard. 
with me, I get a I, I get a problem and I get a download called so and so. I just know yeah. so this problem, this is who to consult with. Yep. Okay. So I'm still back in this first week. Uh, I'm looking at the people who I'm looking at someone who says, okay, check, get a group of people to consult with who believe in the vision. Check, get your vision together and move forward. Don't, don't, don't wait. Don't wait and have some place to go when you doubt. And yes. Check, fan out and talk to as many people as possible. Don't worry about whether it's 200 or 20. Yeah. Right? Just to share your your vision. You're crowd You need money and you need people to follow you. So you're just out there and you're throwing out crazy numbers. I need a million dollars. I need half a million. You know, in the beginning, we start small. But also... Um, what we did, what I did that was important was I didn't just start. I started with vision. I started with talking, but I didn't start. I went and I learned. I said, there has to be best practices already in existence because I do not want to waste time reinventing the wheel. So went around the country. Atlanta had a best practice that we learned from. California had a best practice that we learned from. And Boston three things that we knew were three specific areas that we wanted to launch, but we didn't want to just, I was watching people launch things, fail, launch. And we took longer to launch, but went way further because we saw what was the best of the best. And then like, how do you be better than that? (laughs) So those three cities that you went to, they all had programs. programs. Okay. And what, what, what were you looking for? What kind of program? Um, well, the first one, because we started locally with doing housing, because um, we really thought we we need to give these victims a home. They have nowhere to live. They're abused. Where do they go? And so, you know, the, the longest path down the road is after someone's been abused and trafficked and all that, they need a, a, a bed. They need a bed, place to recover. But then as we got in it, we realized, you know what, getting those girls, it's one in a million. If you even get them, we need smarter strategy for finding them. What's the outreach team? What does that look like? There was an awesome team in California. It was an ex-dominatrix, an ex-porn star, and an ex-prostitute. And they were they were doing an amazing outreach on the streets and the strip clubs everywhere, helping people know that they are worth more and there's there's a way out that they could help them. And they were the ones that taught me, Elizabeth, I tell you what, this whole industry is full of broken people. The leaders are broken as the survivors. And if you could walk in healthy non-competition, you will lead the world because no one can do it. Everyone competes. And that was like, my, that's my mantra. Like there is, you can't compete with me because I'm going to make you look better. There's no such thing as competing. And the ones that get jealous and envious, it's because they're upside down. That's that's just not the way it should be. And so people- so hang, hang on, you can you can compete. Tell me what competition looks like. I think in the, cause I come from, before I was an area pastor, I worked for NBC, Chicago, ABC. I was in corporate America. I was yeah, in sales. Said that. Oh, so you were in the entertainment and news industry already. I was selling commercials. I had gone to school for on-air broadcast, but quicker money, faster track selling I sold. So what I learned was I, I worked in corporate America where, I mean, people bought a 30 second commercial of air for a million dollars. There's plenty of money in the world. Yes. What there's not is excellence. 
there's not a lot of outcomes in the world. There's a lot of people talking about stuff and never delivering. What I knew to be true in the not-for-profit space, as well as the church space, ministry space, people are poverty mindsetted. They, they believe there's not enough money for all, that they have to compete to get their piece. And so they're all fighting for their little silos. And I'm like, dude, there's more money than we could ever get. People are looking for someone that's confident it's going to deliver. And I've operated out of that excellence always of, I don't want to take money from you. If you stand next to me and we do it together, we're going to raise more money because people like collaboration. And it's as simple as it sounds, the not-for-profit world operates out of competition. They don't believe there's very few. And that's now who I've attracted under the Foundation United, the ones that know. There is no competition. You put me next to you and you put us next to her and him next to us. We can rule the world. Like, because together, all of our gifts activate, you know, it's like wonder power twins activate and it's not a competition and you don't steal someone else's money. There's so much money in the world and it's about doing great work exponentially more, the ability to scale, the ability to have longevity. And so I've, I've sort of been able to run on this different track and it attracts those that have that same DNA. And then it attracts it's the donors called, that love that DNA. And it's called Foundation United. The Foundation United. The <laughs> Foundation United. Okay, so you had this mindset. I'm adding this all up. So you had this mindset. Uh, a mindset of prosperity, not of scarcity. You had this mindset of cooperation, not competition. You had the uh, mindset of amplification of gifts, not diminishment of gifts. Very good. And you just started calling people. You showed up at meetings. You already had a name. Literally, how did you attract? What I understand you attracting mentally. I want to see the tangible action. Well, the world I had just come from was the church and churches have a lot of people with a lot of money that have a heart for helping. So we did our first outreach event in a church and we tied in a local county commissioner, local mayor. You get your people of influence that are of the faith community. Churches want to help. We came out with some scary, dark issue. You know, it yeah. rocked the church. Yeah. The, we call it the burning platform. Yes. Yes. It's not stuff that was talked about much. You know, it's more of the stuff that was kept secret in churches. So it was a fun, you know, shake it up type launch. And then people started talking about it. Literally, after we did that event, a mayor, a vice mayor of a neighboring town called, um, there was a community foundation that vets not-for-profits. And the vice president of this community foundation called me. He said, who are you? And I said, well, what? He said, the vice mayor of Longboat Key attended your event last night. And he asked me if you were legitimate because you were really casting a vision. And he's like, who is this woman? And I didn't even have the not-for-profit incorporated yet. I was just talking vision. So this beautiful man that ran this community foundation and helped not-for-profits, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? It's so competitive. There's so many not-for-profits. And I said, no one's doing what we're called to do. We are the only ones in this area and there is a need. And he's like, well, then come in and let me help you do it well. We attracted people that wanted to help with excellence. It was fascinating. I mean, he walked me through how to launch a not-for-profit, how to do it well. We found the best attorneys that did it for free. There was just 
a ton of, I call it favor, like favor, 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 people saying yes. And you're just shocked every day. And I've, I, it hasn't stopped. I say every day is like a trip to the candy store. Like, I just can't even believe <laughs> because as you keep leveling up, the people that come across to help you are just even more cool. It's like amazing, amazing. But it's always one of, you know, we started locally and some of those local people are still with me and they're on a national scale now on a global scale because they had the vision to see bigger and I bring them along because of their influence, they just keep growing. And so um, one of them said, what's, what's unique about you, Elizabeth, is that you don't just go, you bring others with you. And I think that's the beauty, like people that are like-minded, you raise them up and then they're loyal. People are loyal if you treat them well. And uh, it's just been a fun journey. <laughs> Tell me about your day. Just yeah. a typical day. You get up, what time? Just what's your typical day? You know what? There's really not a typical day, but what I like to do is I will keep my mornings very quiet mm -hmm. because my brain's always going. So I, I am uh, guarding my time. I need to be still. I need to hear God. I need to let my mind be still. I take long walks with my dog. And I usually will not let a schedule appointment be scheduled before 11 a.m. I'm at one. Yeah, that's so I, good. I'll do, <laughs> I'll do noon. Yeah, I'll noon do is typically noon. when I'll jump in if I have to do an 11 or 11.30. But I think it's valuable to have your quiet time. You have to, especially as a leader. I think that they, I heard someone say, the higher you get up in leadership, the more the most important meeting of your day is your quiet time when you hear God or you download wisdom or you discern what you need to do next, your strategy time, which is quiet. Right, exactly. Okay, so you keep your mornings clear, your afternoons you do, do you spend most of your time meetings? Do you do any writing or planning? Is it all meetings? Well, I, I have this book that came out in 2020 and I have a new book coming out this fall. You wrote that? I did write this. I didn't yeah. know you. What, nowhere. I didn't see in your bio that you had a book. Okay. Uh, my, my second book coming out in October. Yes. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about your book. Okay. That's Groomed. This is Groomed. Yeah. By HarperCollins. Um, this was really written out of me realizing how fake I was and realizing how much I had in common with sex trafficking survivors and uh, trying to look prettily packaged. And this, it, it says overcoming messages that shaped your past and live in your future. And it talks about being groomed to be invisible for appearances, to make others look good, um, to endure. For a lot of my life, I was groomed to endure. I confused strength with abuse, endured some things you have no business enduring. So just some really good basic lessons there. And, and what we do in the foundation roles into one of the programs that we created. So I create programs like the, our program, Real Talk. I told you how we have the systemic solutions for law enforcement, healthcare, all the different. I created the one really birthed out of my book for the church, like kindergarten to leadership. How do you get real? Church is needing to get real. <laughs> you, keep, you, you keep talking about authenticity and getting real. And then I want to go to your second book, but you keep talking about authenticity and getting real. For people who don't know the difference, yeah. right? What advice can you give someone so they can discern, is this me? 
I, 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 I do leadership coaching and I sometimes coach people who literally don't know what's them and what's ideas somebody put into them. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm gathering. So, oh. so how do you, what's the discernment? You know, sometimes your pain has to exceed your comfort. My, I, I, I had an illness and I, I had somebody read me my mail, basically, <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't see it. I, it, it was a blind spot. I, one of the chapters in here is groomed for judgment. I was so judgmental of others and superior in my ways. Like I'm super cool now, but if you knew me then, uh, you know, like I really was one of those church ladies that thought I was better than everybody. And I hadn't done my own work. I mean, I had my master's in clinical psych, but I wasn't even aware of the disconnections. And I think that that's is, why I'm passionate. Yeah. That is so good. So one clue is, are you judgmental? If you are judgmental and constantly talking about others and what you see in them, the chances are it's a boomerang. Whatever we project on others, we're really saying about ourselves. So now I pay attention when somebody's like telling me something about someone, I'm like, okay, that's what they're doing. And, and it's always on. <laughs> that is so good. I had, I, I knew judgmental was a projection, but I hadn't thought of the connection between judgmental and, and being inauthentic. Well, we have our own blind spots. And so, yeah, I mean, when you really are, have done a lot of broken healing and, you know, gone to some really dark places and seen some things, I don't, I can't walk in an ounce of judgment because I'm so grateful that I am, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go. I, I tell mean. people I can understand murder. I mean, I've told yeah. No, I know. I can get that. <laughs> Every single thing. I get it. Yeah, yes. you, you can't tell me one of your flaws that I don't get, one of your sins or foibles or whatever. You can't tell me one that I don't get that I have the potential inside of me. And that is a rare statement for a person to say, but that is where you want to be right there. But these people are like, oh, well, I just, they're the worst and they're this and they're that. I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> you sound like yeah, I'm. Actually, I'm kind of shocking myself that I'm saying this and actually going to leave it in. <laughs> but, it's true. but it's true. People need to know that if you can't get somebody, you know, I can get the KKK. If you can't get somebody, yeah. then that has an unexplored part of you. 1000%. Like with men that buy children and have sex with four-year-olds, people are like, don't you just want to shoot them? And I'm like, you know what? I was so sexually abused when I was little. I was raped. I had a pornography, my own porn addiction. Once you get hooked in something, it's a dark progressive road. Every time that there is a sting that I've been involved in when men are arrested for buying children, they are devastated because you know what? They're like, how did I get here? It started with porn and I needed more and more to satisfy. And I do believe, I mean, it's just, there's no, that's why we're creating all these off ramps for the church, for all these things, because you do need an off-ramp because it is dark and every pathway that we're on is progressive. And if we don't have somebody normalize that you need an off-ramp, it's dark where you're going. So yeah, if people have strong judgments, like, and it's typically like a lot of the men that are like, talk like this, that are buying kids. Like my husband's always like, oh, you could tell that guy's totally buying kids because he acts like, <laughs> so I just think that um, the greatest, greatest gift we could get is to walk with love. And if you're not able to walk with love towards everybody, you need everybody. to look in the mirror. There. 
That's wonderful. Okay, so I know we're at your time limit, I think. So uh, how can people reach you? Tell us quickly about your second book and then tell how people how it, they can reach you. My, my second book hasn't been officially announced yet, but oh. it, it's coming out in October. It's along the lines of speaking the unspeakable and uh, the, okay. the only way to truly be set free gets into all kinds of things, um, normalizing the conversation. So I would love to talk with you more about that. And if you want to stay up to date, our website is thefoundationunited.org. Okay. And that way people could sign up, they'll get our newsletters, you'll see when things are, and there's groups for people to jump in. If you don't know, if you have some blind spots, there are places for you to jump in and we'll help you find out. <laughs> yes. Okay. I know someone who doesn't want to find out her blind spots. Then you just love them. They'll get there when they get there. That's what I always say. I'm like, I don't have a horse in the race. When I was in Chicago and doing ministry, I was exhausted because I wanted people to see their blind spots. But that drove me because I hadn't yet seen all of mine. And so uh, once you have yours out, you're like, dude, it's your own. I don't have a horse in that race. Take your time. <laughs> okay. So Elizabeth, this has been marvelous. I do want to talk with you. If your book is coming out in October, probably September is a good yep. follow-up. Is that, is, does that make sense? I would love it. Okay. And this has been a sheer delight. <laughs> I agree. I've had fun with you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll see you again. Take care. Okay. This conversation was a welcome surprise. I didn't expect what we got. The conversation is going to stay with me for a while. What are my takeaways? First, Elizabeth obviously has had many opportunities and she used what she learned to now give back to others in an area she has a lot of passion for. She capitalized on what she learned in corporate America and in her church to build a vital service for nonprofits. What a great use for her talents. Second, she well understands that in nonprofits, it's just as important to focus on the business side of things as on the service and advocacy part. She talked about fundraising, being able to scale the work. She talked about the importance of excellence. People will support your work if it's excellent. Third, she did an amazing job of describing how to attract support. First, you believe it yourself, then you generate the energies so that others can see the sincerity and the importance of what you're talking about. She believes she was meant to do the work partially because of faith and partially because of her personal experiences. Last, she had the good sense to not believe she had to do it all herself. She has a group of people, her board of advisors, as she calls them, to reach out to whenever she has doubt or whenever she's not sure what next. The people who believe in her believe it's their mission to support her. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, she had all of these opportunities. She didn't start off with nothing. That's true. But I also know from my research and from my life experience, that those who live with a scarcity mentality 
who believe there's not enough or that they have to compete or that things will just go wrong for them, they won't see the opportunities that's available. And they can't take advantage of opportunities they don't see. Elizabeth expects people to support her. So when they show up, she doesn't doubt it. She embraces it. This is what this conversation did for me. I'm thinking long and hard about my own areas of self-doubt and the opportunities available that I may not have taken advantage of as well as I could. So thank you, Elizabeth, for this reminder to stay focused on what's possible. <laughs>